dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to a live episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, Mr. Jamar Tisby. Brother, how you doing tonight? Sleep deprived, but excited, my friend. This is an all-star lineup we have. Yes, I'm so excited to get into this conversation and introduce our esteemed panel. But before we do that, we want to encourage you to do two main things. The first is, whenever you're watching this, we want you to click the subscribe button for the Witness YouTube page. This is just the first of many conversations that we'll be having using this medium. We also want you to, um, uh, time permitting, we'll be uh, answering some questions on Twitter. So if you want to ask some questions of the panel, any particular people, you can do so on Twitter um, by using the hashtag witness live chat. That's witness live chat. And this conversation is hosted by the witness. And for those who don't know, if it's your first interaction with us. We are a black Christian collective that engages issues of religion, race, justice, and culture from a biblical perspective. We consciously draw on the expansive black church tradition to address matters of personal faith while also speaking to issues of public righteousness. Now, because we are a black Christian collective, we recognize that this conversation is from the perspective of it's limited to the perspective of women and black Christians. So it's not as diverse as it could be. So for those Christians who are not represented here, we just want to acknowledge this is not a comprehensive or an exhaustive look at all of Christianity, whether denominationally or convictionally. So we'll just be speaking from our perspective. So we do want to set that uh, expectation at the beginning. So let's introduce our panel. Um, I'll start with Miss Lisa Fields. Lisa Fields is a Christian apologist, writer, and speaker. She received her Master of Divinity degree from Liberty University with a focus in theology. She's the founder and president of the wonderful organization, the Jude 3 Project. And the primary mission of the Jude 3 Project is to help the Christian community know what they believe and why they believe it. It is distinctive and a strong emphasis in equipping those of African descent in the United States and, and beyond. And Lisa is also the host of the Jude 3 Project podcast, which every single one of you should subscribe to right now. Lisa, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm honored that you would ask. <laughs> yes, we've been trying to get Lisa on the podcast for a while, so we're honored that you're here. Okay, we've been we've been trying so hard. <laughs> Truth table snatched her from us. We'll get to that later. But um, <laughs> next we have we have Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin is a writer, editor, speaker, and self-proclaimed karaoke queen. Now, Caitlin, you know we're going to make you prove that one day, okay? I am ready. <laughs> she's I am a ready for the challenge. Right. She's a graduate of Calvin College and also studied theology at Oxford University. Uh, she's the first woman and the youngest person to become the managing editor for the magazine Christianity Today. She went on to launch a website for women called Hermeneutics, and her first book entitled A Woman's Place was released in 2016. She's written for The Washington Post, The Atlantic, The New York Times, has commented on CNN, ABC, NPR, and now The Witness. <laughs> Caitlin, <laughs> thank you for joining us. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation. It's an honor. And then last but certainly not least is Miss Ikemeni Uwan. She is no stranger to pass the mic, but for the uninitiated, she's a writer, speaker, and podcaster extraordinaire. She is also a self-proclaimed fashionista, which if you guys get a look at what she's wearing now, you know that she is not lying. She received her <laughs> Master of Divinity degree from Westminster Theological Seminary, where she won the 2015 Green Prize Award in Apologetics. 
She has been quoted by the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mashable, and the Huffington Post Religion, among others. But most notably, she is one-third of the amazing dynamic podcast, Truth's Table, with Dr. Christina Edmondson and Michelle Higgins. Kemeny, it's always an honor to have you on the podcast with us. Always good to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this conversation was sparked actually by something that Caitlin said on Twitter responding to Ross Duthat's uh, column on is there an evangelical crisis? And before we get into the actual details, um, I remember watching Ikemeni and Caitlin had actually mentioned some people who are on this panel graciously. Um, it's just some examples of, of Christians of color, Black Christians in particular, who have been representing what she calls the best of evangelicalism, but were not mentioned in the uh, article itself, in the column. So Seeing Ekemeni and Jamar respond, it, it made me think this probably demands its own conversation and we wanted to host that. So before we get into the specifics of this conversation, I want to kick it to our resident historian, Jamar Tisby, to enlighten us on what evangelical means. A lot of people use evangelical, but what's the framework that we'll be coming from tonight, Jamar? Okay, so just for the sake of discussion, we're going to toss out a a very well-known definition of evangelicalism. Now, let me give all the qualifications and caveats before folks just just blow up social media. Listen, number one, it's it's a biblical word from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. And so in that sense, um, all Christians are good news people. But as we've come to define it socially, theologically, culturally, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Now, the, the definition I'm going to use of a jumping off point. And so I fully recognize there are all kinds of gaps in this definition, uh, all kinds of drawbacks. But uh, folks will probably be familiar with uh, historian David Bebbington's quadrilateral. And so these are four principles or four elements that he says are part of evangelicalism. And I'll just run through those quickly for the sake of a jumping off point, and then we can critique. And and so Bebbington says uh, there's a quadrilateral of characteristics defined by conversionism, which is an emphasis on a a personal conversion to Christianity. It rests on a, a traditional understanding of the Bible that interprets miracles as true and, and scripture as divinely inspired. There's a, a crucicentrism to it, which is a focus on Jesus Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And there's actually an activist uh, element to it in a couple of dimensions. One, in terms of your faith is active, something that you should live, but it's also uh, active sort of more broadly in, in society as well. Mm. And those are just four descriptors. Now, the drawbacks are, of course, that you don't want to assume or imply that anyone who's who doesn't call themselves evangelical doesn't believe in those things. Like, they're not... Uh, uh, emphasizing personal conversion or the cross or something like that. But again, just a jumping off point. Now let's actually go around and we'll start with Jamar since you just got done talking. Um, I want to ask the question and get a one word answer from everyone. Do you identify as an evangelical? So Jamar, do you identify as an evangelical? Why are you laughing? You knew this was coming. Why are you laughing? I know. I'll just say, okay, we'll unpack it all later. Okay. No. Ikemeni, do you identify as an evangelical? No, I never have. Lisa, do you identify as an evangelical? Nope. 
<laughs> Caitlin, do you identify as an evangelical? All the pressure's on you now, Caitlin. Um, okay. I thought about this before. Yes. Okay. And I do not identify as an evangelical. Mm. So going in reverse order, we'll start with Caitlin. Tell us a little bit about your history with evangelicalism, both in the American form. And Caitlin, you actually define both the American and the international evangelical as well. So you speak to both of those in your research and work. So what's your history and how do you fit within evangelicalism? My self-understanding as an evangelical is really rooted in my personal, I have a personal conversion narrative. Um, my, my parents up until I was about 13, I would say were culturally Christian, but we got connected to a a United Methodist church when I was a young teenager. And I had, a a, I I came to Christ in a really profound and, and personal way. And, um, the, the centrality of scripture, the centrality of the cross, the centrality of uh, your faith informs everything you do. It's an active part of your life. All of that has really enriched my own uh, faith journey and my spirituality. So I, I don't, it's, it's the soil into which hmm. I was planted. Um, I've invested a lot professionally in the evangelical world, you know, was the managing editor at Christianity today uh, for several years. And I think in-house, it was exciting to think about um, presenting an evangelicalism that was perhaps different from what we see in the headlines, like hashtag not all evangelicals. <laughs> this was before the election. Um, and I, I will say, and you, if you, you've read anything I've written or just had a conversation with me, you would know that the, the election has really shaken me spiritually, not, not because I have lost faith. Um, in fact, in some ways, my my faith is vibrant in a way that it wasn't before. But my relationship with the evangelical community has really been shaken. And being aware of dynamics and kind of implicit blindnesses in the evangelical world that perhaps all of you have known about for a long time. And that's why you don't identify with evangelicalism. So it's been, it's a real, it's been somewhat of an identity crisis, even though my faith is as strong as ever and the core theological convictions haven't changed. That's very interesting. The soil that you've been planted in, uh, that's a, that's a very vibrant phrase. Now, Lisa, you have connection to evangelicalism, proximity to it, but that's not kind of where you grew up. Talk about how, where you came from within black church context informs you saying, nope, like you didn't say no, you said, nope. So <laughs> that's kind of like a hard pass. <laughs> so, so, yeah. That's a period. That's a, nah, like, no, I'm not. So, so you got to explain that build on why you said, nope, the way that you did. Um, I wasn't even familiar with it until I probably my, towards my maybe junior or senior year of college, I grew up in church. My father's a pastor Black, non-denominational, more kind of Pentecostal. Um, so that's that was my my growing up. So I had no association to evangelicalism at all until I went to um, grad school at Liberty. And so I think people assume that I grew up in an evangelical context because I went to Liberty, um, and that because that. I'm an and and because I'm an apologist. So apologetics in in America usually centers around white evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. So 
me as a as a black woman and coming from 99 Pentecostalism is an anomaly to to be leading an apologetics organization. So I interact with evangelicalism all the time. I speak at evangelical conferences because that's where a great emphasis, um, a great deal of work is done in apologetics. So for my field, it it makes sense. But so that's kind of my story. And me being the liberty was a a total culture shock. Yes, we, so we can we can share stories. We can trade war stories, Lisa. So um so that's kind of been my introduction to apologetics was me going to an evangelical seminary, but never identifying um with evangelicalism as a yeah, just never ever ever identified. That's why I said no, because I'm like, no, I kind of grew up black church all my time. Even when I went to Liberty, I went to a black church. So I was right, just right. trained in the even conservative evangelical school. So. Now, Kimini, you've been very public about the fact that you grew up in non-denom, egalitarian style, Black church. You've said that on Twitter before and that you never considered yourself, that collectively your church never considered itself evangelical would use that label, correct? Yeah, no. Well, actually, technically, I actually grew up in um, a Lutheran church like from infancy until I was about 18. So the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which is a mainline Protestant denomination. So that's actually not even evangelical as it is. Um, and then I got saved in a non-denominational Black um, Baptist Pentecostal egalitarian church. And so that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I really came to know the Lord. Um, but yeah, my church, we never identified as evangelical. That's like foreign terminology. It's just like, huh? What does that even mean? We believe the Bible <laughs> Jesus wants us to love our neighbors and love God. That's right. it, and that's all. Like, and so, and the word is the authority. And so, that was just always what, yeah, that's just how I always understood the faith. And so, I guess, in some ways, my association with um, evangelicalism, if you want to call it that, is because of where I went to school for a seminary. It wasn't until I went to seminary that I was like, oh, evan, okay, meaning what? You know, so one of the <laughs> most evangelical, like, reform seminaries in the world. So I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know. I was just following God. That's all I knew. And so then I got plopped into this, into the seminary. And so I think that's in some ways kind of some parallels with Lisa in that way, where it's just like, I'm in it, but not of like, I'm just, I've never identified as evangelical. So it's something, this is like a new thing for me. Like, I'm like, huh? It's just, it's foreign. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there's too. Anyways, I'm sure we'll go into why and what that looks like. But yeah, absolutely. Now, Jamar, we've talked about kind of your background on the podcast before, so I won't ask you that question. But I'll ask you. You kind of made some qualifiers. You laughed before. You kind of wanted to get it out there, like, hey, 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 this. I'll explain it Uh, because I think if you say no to evangelical, there's this implicit question underneath that, which is, okay, well, if you don't identify as evangelical, then what do you? identify as like it seems to be for some people they claim the term because it's the safest term to use um so i'll kick it to jamar that anyone else can can kind of hop in and give some thoughts um on that as well but jamar why do you think that is and and if someone asked a question well if you're not evangelical then what would you consider yourself as um within the kingdom of god how would you answer that question So it's like on Facebook when it says like relationship status, you can say, you know, single in a relationship or quote. They still say that on Facebook. That's like 19, like 98 (laughs) Facebook. All right, maybe I'm I'm dating myself here. But (laughs) 
you know, there, there, there's this this kind of middle ground that's not yes or no. It's it's complicated. And so the way I view evangelicalism and particularly my 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 relationship to the label is is through multiple lenses. So I think you can look at it theologically. I think you can look at it at it um, uh, historically. And I think you can look at it so sort of sociopolitically. And so theologically, I think all of us, even if it was a predominantly black church tradition that we grew up in, would agree with, you know, some of the basic tenets, right? Like an emphasis on the Bible is the word of God. That's the authority. You got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's not foreign to most Christian traditions, uh, let alone the black uh, church tradition. And so if we line up theologically, does that make us evangelical? That's a question. But I think you can also look at it historically. And it's important for black folks to know that for decades, there were black people who self-identified as evangelical. Now, that sounds kind of strange to us because we're sitting here on the far side of the moral majority and the religious right. And so when we hear evangelical, all of that baggage is is coming to fore. But before that, and I've heard, um, you know, older saints in the faith who identified as black evangelicals say, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there just wasn't that pronounced a relationship between the socio cultural and political uh, connotations that we have. So it wasn't necessarily an epithet, but there was still an understanding that evangelicalism, you know, there's a lot of white folks there. Uh, you know, Billy Graham is is probably the most well-known evangelical and, and uh, that kind of characterized the movement. But historically, there, there, there were times when, when black folks would say, yeah, we're evangelicals. There are differences, but we're evangelical. Now, the matter is what has evangelicalism become in in sort of the popular discourse and i think that's where evangelical because it's gotten so associated with the culture wars it's gotten so associated with vo- uh, voting republican it's gotten so associated with um social and political conservatism and it just leaves out really most people who aren't white, I mean, it's not just black people, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think that narrative has become so powerful and so negative that even with all these other qualifications, theologically and historically, it would be troublesome to publicly identify as an evangelical. But the question of labels is still there. So for the witness, we say we are a black Christian collective. And, you know, that can be a very broad swath of Christianity. And so we just try to convey through content and theme and tone kind of Christians we are. Now, I'm hearing some sort of separation between classic understanding of what evangelical is and modern understanding of what evangelical is. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing you, you separate those things, Jamar. Anybody want to hop in on that idea of of is it right to separate those things? Has it has it been as pronounced of a shift? Because I've heard some people, it's, it's a huge difference between what evangelicalism was founded upon and then other people are saying, oh, I mean, you know, it's not that much different. It's just a little bit different. Anybody want to hop in on that? I think the assumption is that to be a biblical Christian means to be an evangelical Christian. And I think that's problematic uh, because when people say, well, I hold a high view of scripture, I hold the, you know, uh, the Bible is authoritative. I believe, you know, that in, in all of scripture, 
that you are somehow just boxed into evangelicalism. And I think that's problematic because a high view of scripture didn't start with evangelicalism. And I believe that (laughs) (laughs) it's problematic to make that that assumption. I think it's also problematic um, because it it doesn't include the fact that evangelicalism at its foundation had racism present um, with the founders. Um, so I think that in ideals, there was a list of ideas that were quote unquote biblical, but I think just like the Declaration of Independence, the foundation of evangelicalism missed the mark of what it claimed to represent. Mm-hmm. So just like America has these ideas that all men are created equal, evangelicalism had a high view of scripture and said that, you know, all men are made in the image of God, but treated uh, black and brown mm-hmm. as less than. So there's ideals that are present that are there never lived up to. So I think maybe aligning myself with evangelicalism means I want to align myself with a group that missed the mark of what biblical Christianity is. And so that's why for me, I, I would just say I'm a biblical Christian. I'm a Christian that follows follows scripture without identifying myself with a a certain group because of the baggage that comes along with it. That's good. That's good. I mean, Lisa is like, I'm like, okay, we done. She just she preached, <laughs> she preached the word. Start, it didn't start with evangelicalism. So, well, I thought that was good. Um, I, well, that's what's interesting, making the theological distinctions and I guess the um, political ones. Um, I have a couple of things I want to say about that. Um, I guess the, the first thing is with evangelicalism, I think it's just, it's just so broad and it's so muddied now um, that if you say everything, then you end up saying nothing. And so if I go down the street and ask somebody what evangelicalism is, they probably are going to tell me that uh, white, Republican, if they even know what it means, right? Um, it, it seems to be nebulous, right? Um, and there's, there's another aspect there where where I, I would want to identify with what the saints around the world are identifying with. I mean, hmm. evangelicalism is an American convention construct, if you will. And so, and it's, and it's a very recent um, um, uh, construct or um, invention, if you will. And so it's always changing. It's always evolving. That's the nature of language in terms, right? So evangelicalism, what it meant when Jamar was um, historically doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean what it means today. Um, and so I think that's why it is probably is problematic. And there's a lot of hubris there just thinking like, if you're not evangelical, then you're an unorthodox Christian or you're not a Christian. Uh, that's, that's very American, right? <laughs> that's very self-centered, very, very arrogant. Um, particularly when you think about the fact that um, when I even think about the Protestant Reformation and the fact that Martin Luther was actually influenced by the church of Ethiopia, Amen. We had actually already been walking in what we now know to be Protestantism. They were doing that way before the Europeans caught on to that. Um, and so I think there's a word in there for white evangelicals to actually learn from people from the margins, learn from the black church, learn from our Latino and Latina communities. I say that all that to say that I think it, it's just too broad. Um, and so there's just too much confusion. And I, I like precise terms. Now, I know Christian is also broad. I know that. But I know the saints in Myanmar call themselves Christians. I know mm. the Christians mm. in Sudan mm. call themselves Christians and they're dying for that label. OK, I don't I don't see anybody dying on the altar for evangelicalism, mm-hmm. except for Americans here who want to die on the hill of their political idolatry. And you live by that, you will die by that. 
Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to say for now. Okay, so all that tea just got spilled all over my laptop. Right then. <laughs> do we don't don't, don't we tricked. recognize <laughs> don't we recognize the um you know in terms of people abroad calling themselves Christian? That's also a very different sort of religious landscape than in America, right? So sure, sure. where um, in America to be Christian is not that controversial. It, it, well, depends on who you ask, but by and large, right? Um, as compared to somewhere like Myanmar. Okay, so I, I just there's there's those differences there. But again, I mean, I'm on the same page because we are black Christian collective because of all of the baggage that comes with evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Now, Caitlin, I heard so, you. Yeah. yeah, I want you to get in, Caitlin, because I heard you once say that that the average you quoted someone said the average evangelical is, a, is an African woman. Is that right? That mm-hmm. the, so it's changed now from or the average identifying like Christ follower, because there's a difference between the international and the American. Sure. But just theologically, theologically, um, okay. in terms saying. of numbers, we, we know about the incredible spread of a more kind of charismatic um, conversionistic uh, Christianity in the global south. And whether or not they use the word evangelical and many of them don't and would understand it as a totally American foreign term. Um, you're, you, we, we get caught in an American silo when we talk about evangelicalism, like we, we, uh, our mind goes to white male Republican, uh, globally, that is not who your average quote unquote evangelical is if we're speaking just theologically. Um, and it's interesting. I, I feel like inherent to the evangelical movement is all this hand wringing about what we mean by evangelical. And there's, there's a lot of energy spent on boundaries keeping that I think Mm. is, um, is, is navel gazing and could be destructive when we should just be going about the business of getting on with loving God and loving our neighbor. Um, and so when I even when I identify as an evangelical, I do. I mean, I know you asked for a one word answer, so I just had to gulp and say it. <laughs> but of course, my answer would be, well, it totally depends on what you mean by that word. And I think part of my desire to keep the label is to say, um, like, can I name drop? Can I like say people's go, names? Go, do whatever. Okay. I mean, you, just, like, you don't care. Go. <laughs> okay. So like part of me wants to say, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. And Franklin Graham do not get to define what an evangelical is. They mm. may have, they may be the loudest and the most obnoxious and they may get the headlines, but what if they're the fake evangelicals <laughs> mm. and, and, and what if the people who are at my church, who love God and love their neighbor and work for others flourishing. Um, what if they're the real evangelicals, you know? So I, of course it's a, it's, um, there's a lot of hand wringing around the word, but I want to reclaim it as a way. I want to continue to claim it as a way of reforming what it is from within. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, but, now you might check in with me 10 years from now and see if I'm still committed to doing that. But that's that's where I am these days. Now, Caitlin, you're speaking really to scope of the word evangelical. And, and some people I've heard of say that the word is defined too broadly. Like there are too many people who claim the label who are not authentic to the tenets. And then I've heard other people say this is too narrow. 
Like, so we're trying to kind of reduce it down to this precise, very small group of people when in reality, it actually is a little bit broader. Anybody want to talk about scope too broad, too narrow, just right? Where is the term evangelical as, as far as scope? And then we'll get into some individuals as, as it relates to black Christians and women. So I've heard a lot of pushback about the polls that national news outlets uh, produce and, and publicize. And folks are like, because it'll, it'll have some, some statistic that reflects horribly on evangelicalism, right? And then the response is, well, how are you defining evangelical? Because that's not how I think, hashtag not all evangelicals, right? But here's my thing. I think at some point you have to own the fact that these folks feel comfortable identifying themselves as evangelical. Mm-hmm. Like that came along somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and what I really think folks need to do is look at the church level, because I've spoken at dozens of churches, interacted with literally hundreds of white evangelicals. And at the grassroots layperson level, they are conservative politically conservative socially. They will vote Republican. They will have very similar outlooks on racial issues, mass incarcerate, all of those things. And so when they see the polls or whatever, they they may have this reaction like, ooh, that's not me. But wait a minute. When you go in the voting booth or when you invite a speaker to your church or when you push back on on an artist or a, 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 a theologian who's talking about systemic injustice, aren't you falling into all of those kind of same ideologies and belief patterns? That's where I think the rubber hits the road. And if we're not dealing with that, then you can say, ew, that's not my kind of evangelicalism all you want. But when I walk into your church, I still get that same vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I hear you saying, Jamar, is like, even in my ideal world, evangelicalism would be broader and it wouldn't mean all those default things. But at the end of the day, you talk to an average, you know, white person who identifies as an evangelical and they kind of tick most of those boxes and you have to own that. And and this, this, the stereotype is coming from an actual, um, like place of majority within the movement. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I wasn't talking directly to you, uh, Kate, and I was just on my soapbox. (laughs) Um, and, and, and well, I, you know, Jamar, we, we got to interrogate the people in the pews, what they're, where they're getting their news, what they're hearing from the pulpit. And they may not turn the volume up as high as a Jerry Falwell or somebody. But honestly, if I post a particular article on Facebook, I'm going to still get that pushback. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so until those kinds of things change, these, these, these like baseline beliefs about how the world works which is very centered on whiteness, very centered on on being used to systems working in your favor until mm-hmm. that starts to change. Uh, I don't I don't I don't see all the the, um, you know, hand wringing about defining evangelicalism as very helpful, because at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, there's not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Ikemini, I want to I want to you, you shared something recently. It was actually a while back. You said. Um, that it was a quote from the New York Times that says 74% of white evangelicals believe things have changed for the worse since the 1950s. Um, and so that was, you know, a poll, narrow poll, whatever it may be. But you, you talked about, um, and you've mentioned before, kind of this fear that white evangelicals have of losing control. They're captive to the empire, you said. 
Um, <laughs> so can you talk about that fear of marginalization, um, which causes the sociopolitical ramifications of evangelical to be to be muddied now from what the original intent was that we defined at the beginning? Yeah, um, that reminds me of, um, remember Dr. Martin Luther King talking about, I think in his book, um, Why We Can't Wait, talking about how, uh, or maybe it was, yeah, yeah, it was in Why We Can't Wait, um, talking about how the privileges, uh, the privileged people rarely give up their privileges voluntarily, right? So nobody wants to give up anything that they benefit from. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that they um, are most definitely um, held captive to empire, um, and we saw that with this last election with 81% voting for Trump and still standing by him. Um, and we see much of that repeated even in a, um, in, in a bit of a microcosm, or if I can even say that really, in Alabama with Roy Moore, what's happening there, right? Absolutely. Um, and so there is this golden calf of desire for power, um, de- desire for, um, and not even just desire of power, but to lord it over the more marginalized. Well, we see what's happening with the tax bill. We see what's happening with um, this relentless desire to strip health care away from the poor. I mean, literally plundering, seeking to plunder um, um, people that have the least, you know, and leave them without. We see the plundering of the um, land of Native Americans uh, with the whole bare ears um, legislation that 45 just passed. So there's a lot going on here. Um, Very, very pointed attacks against um, the marginalized um, that are, that are in play here. Um, And so that's what I mean when I'm saying that um, they're held captive to empire, this desire Mm -hmm. to hold on to what is temporal, to hold on to this power, to hold on to the wealth, to hold on to, Instead of losing their life, right, for the sake of the gospel, they want to keep it and save it. And whoever is seeking to save their life will lose it, right? Um, and so we're not fearing the one that can kill the body and soul in hell. They're fearing the one, you know, that can actually kill the body. And that's just like, come on. You know, so that that's something that, so I think that, that that's what I'm speaking to when I'm speaking um, about that. And so, but yeah, I mean, the reality is that if you benefit some, 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 from something, you don't want to let it go. Uh, and there's a lot of money to be had, particularly in the um, evangelical industrial complex. There's book deals, there's speaker, speaker circuit deals. There are, you get op, the um, op-eds, your name is all over on the headlines. There, there's all types of privileges that come along with this, Right. You get to be mm-hmm. talking head. There's a whole lot of things that come to you as you being the darling evangelical, whoever that that might be. Um, mm-hmm. And so people don't want to let go of that label. Um, mm-hmm. So even if even if there's nothing, um, even if there's nothing um, really that, that can be gained by keeping it right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I personally don't like to take on labels that I'm not going to have in the new heavens and new earth personally. So when when. Christ comes back and and restores order and restoration happens. Am I going to be an evangelical in heaven? No, I'm going to be a servant <laughs> of the Lord. I'm going to be a Christian. Come on, I'm come going on. to be. So for me, I want to keep that. And I will be, I will also be woman. I will also be black, specifically Nigerian. I will also, this hair, I will still have, like, you know, all of these things I will retain. Oh, so oh. personally, I don't want, I, I never want to take on additional labels that I won't keep with me. Um wow. So anyway, that's a whole lot. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, that's that's helpful. Um, Lisa, Lisa, get in and talk about how the black churches view evangelicalism, how that shift has has taken hold, because now it seems like that's the the popular conversation. I was listening to your interview with 
uh, Mary Beth Matthews, who talks about doctrine and race, who wrote the book Doctrine and Race. And she talks about how she was surprised to see how fundamentalist um, or, or black pastors who are Christian were tuned into fundamentalists, like white fundamentalists. Um, and she mentions it, it was really a powerful quote. She said, it's because they needed to know who was the group that was othering them. They need mm. to be familiar with the people yes. who were othering them. And so how have how have black Christians and black churches now kind of turned their gaze toward this conversation? Or it's not even a thing that we talk about, you know, within that context. Talk a little bit about that evolving notion of what evangelical evangelical is in that context. I don't even know if I can answer that holistically. Um, <laughs> but what I can say to it is I think that there's because when we talk about the black church, I think we we def, define it as it's one thing when there are so many different black churches within the black church. Yes. So I like to use Thank the you. term how have black churches um, kind of wrestle with it. And I think something that Mary Beth said that was really crucial was that black churches had to be in tune with what, how white churches were othering them. What white churches didn't have to pay attention to black churches. So they would make up all these caricatures and think they were that we as African Americans were easily swayed. We couldn't um basically defend our faith or we didn't actually know what we believed. And so um they kind of othered us and put us in a project category. Like there's somebody they have to help and rescue. Uh you even hear that language in slavery they were saving saving heathen souls. Um when when they um when they when they brought brought us over here. So um I think that's problematic that they kind of have us in the category of ignorance. It's when it comes to faith. But black people have to know what's going on um in white circles. Just outside of church, in any in any form of, of culture, we have to know both sides and they don't necessarily have to know uh about us um so i think mm-hmm. that's the history but i think there's other groups like i grew up in, in my in my church context we weren't concerned about white evangelicals at all like i mean we weren't even <laughs> like it just never crossed our mind we were too busy living it wasn't a care and i think for a lot of churches of black churches that are maybe you're more charismatic pentecostal even baptist Oh yeah, no. Just, a lot, a lot of churches aren't concerned with evangelicalism at all. Like, not even a thought. I know me growing mm-hmm. up, it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't until um, I think the the political landscape makes it obviously more problematic because of we have uh, President Trump. But I think a lot of people aren't really concerned, uh, aren't really paying it attention, um, and frankly, don't care. Because I think one thing that T.D. Jake said a long time ago when he was on the elephant room, um, he said that uh, black people, especially in during the civil rights era, we didn't have time to argue, argue about, about yeah, theology. These, uh, theology we were too busy trying to survive. We had real opposition. So we didn't have time to argue about theology. It's really a privilege. Yeah. And so um, I think the more educated black people become, we have the privilege to to think about the theological distinctives of different groups. But I think back then they weren't necessarily concerned about it because they had so much going on. That's I, I'm so glad you brought that up again, uh, Lisa, because I think it gets back to 
Caitlin's point about evangelicalism really being very concerned about boundaries and saying who we are and even more specifically who we aren't. And in a sense, that points to sort of the, the cultural comfortability that we have as Christians. Uh, not that those issues aren't important, but if we look at the, the global church and people facing like life and death persecution mm-hmm. because of their faith, which also has affected African-Americans, both historically and in the present, then you're right. It's like, okay, look, do you do you love Jesus? Okay, let's go. Like, let's be about the business of being Christian because there are people suffering. There are people who need to hear about Jesus. And we can't have all of these intramural fights over who is this or who isn't that or do you parse it this way or that way. Again, not that there's not occasions for that, but I I wonder if we've gotten so caught up in defining who we are and putting labels on ourselves that we don't have time to actually be about the business of our father. Hmm. And so part of it is, you know, that return to look, I'm just Christian. Um, You can, you can fight over that if you want, but look, I got work to do. And so I think part of what's happening now is a sifting in the American church uh, you know, who identifies as Christian and what they really mean is I'm a conservative, I'm conservative socially and politically, but that's not Christianity. And who is really trying to die to self, take up their cross daily and follow Christ, which is going to go counter to Democrats, is going to go counter to Republicans, it's going to mm-hmm. go counter to your own desires, or it's going to line up at some points. And so I, I just... I'm trying to consciously think about what does it mean to live as a Christ follower and not just call myself one. Now, Caitlin, um, Lisa talked about this, this difference of, you know, black Christians having at some points to think about, you know, the broader white church or white Christians or, or the white majority in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but white Christians and white people not having to think about that in reverse. That was the whole premise of your tweet. Right. Like your your whole premise of your tweet was include these people. And so speak about it. What are we missing? What is broader evangelicalism missing from your perspective when it comes to women and when it comes to people of color that they can learn, that they can tangibly take and say this actually applies to 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 enhancing the church, to teaching the church, to the church, learning something from these groups of people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two thoughts come to mind. I think. I think you're right. I think it was Jamar talking about the, no, it was Akemeni talking about the, the fear that we see a lot of white evangelicals kind of um, beholden to that. They're, they're going to lose the sense of cultural power that they're beholden to the empire and that it's ultimately an idol um, that they're, that they're, that is working them up into this fear. Whenever I hear conversations among white Christians about, like they're taking away our rights or there's going to be this time in the near future when we will be persecuted, when we won't be able to preach the gospel. I just think like you don't even realize how much privilege you enjoy, how much centering you continue to enjoy in the United States. Um, The African-American church tradition has always flourished on the margins. And if if white Christians are so 
worried about loss of power and being um, othered, so to speak. Like maybe, maybe it's time for them to sit back and learn from fellow Christians who have not only survived, but thrived from places of marginalization in American society. So that would be the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing is that um, I think the uh, Jamar and I were talking earlier this week and he used the word syncretism to describe the kind of melding of white Christian theology and kind of a conservative political ideology that there's a syncretism in a lot of white evangelicalism that we're seeing. We, we saw it play in the election. We saw it, we're seeing at play in, in Alabama. Um, the problem with that syncretism is not simply that, um, you know, my fellow white evangelicals believe things that I find annoying or frustrating. It's that they're, they've actually forsaken core biblical mm. teaching in that syncretism. So if you, can, if your conception of sin is only individualistic and it's not also systemic and it's not also um, calling into questions um, the power, the powers and principalities that are against the spirit of God and that affect systems and structures and not just individuals, you're actually forsaking a key part of the Bible. <laughs> like you're, you have, you have strayed from the biblical teaching. If you're, if your Christianity is primarily about uh, the preservation and safety of you and your family, and that's it, you have lost a vision of social flourishing for your neighbor um, that is inherent to the gospel. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I, I mourn for, for the evangelical world, not simply because, you know, a lot of evangelicals voted for a president that I couldn't vote for, but because there, there's something they're, the core of the faith is at risk in this syncretism that has happened in white evangelicalism. And I, I look to um, people like Truth Table and Pass the Mic and the AM campaign and think, oh, there, this, is a, this, is a, this is a biblical vision, a fully biblical vision of Christianity that I can latch on to or that makes sense that that makes sense to me and that answers some of the um weakness the theological and spiritual weakness that's happening within the evangelical movement yeah that's that's very helpful um from a theological context and socially as well let me ask you guys this um lisa and akimini what is one issue that for evangelicalism to relinquish its its obsession with empire and being captive to empire, the sociopolitical, what's one issue that they have to confront? It's a lot. One issue that must <laughs> must be confronted that's like foundational. You can't get away from this. What is it? Well, okay. So wait, can I go back and say a little something? Because you were talking go about ahead, what's, the blind, what's the blind spot you said of evangelicalism. Yeah, I, go ahead. I refine that for a little yeah. bit because right, I got that. So. But <laughs> but uh, I think a blind spot, is, it's not just a little a minor blind spot. There is a wall Right. Mm. Um, there's a wall and it's called a wall of whiteness, as um, uh, uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Laura Pritchard said. She's a, a multi-ethnic anti-racist trainer in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she talked about the wall of whiteness. It's like and I think a function of white supremacy is that you can't see beyond whiteness. Right. So this impacts white people and it impacts people of color. So then we start to think white is the standard that we should be aiming for. It's not white people think whiteness is the norm. It's not. 
um, and whiteness is um, a construct and it's wicked and it will be thrown into the pit of hell. And so we need white people to embrace their ethnicity. This is why this is what we're talking about when I when I say that. So that big that's a it's not just a blind spot. We're talking about a wall, a wall of whiteness, and you just can't see beyond that. Um, that's number one. Number two, which I guess would feed into what's what's the one thing. Uh, there's so many. Um, um, I would say this. Um, uh, I I think this 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 facade of um, of pro life. Mm. All right, all right. White evangelicals <laughs> are truly because I was trying to choose between that and the GOP, and you know, where I, I think I could kill two birds with one stone by saying pro life, and so. If if white evangelicals are truly pro-life, then I should see the ELRC and every other org that is pro-life, SBC, rallying right now in Flint, Michigan, to figure out why the people of Flint are still mm-hmm. being poisoned, number one, okay? Because white supremacy is ubiquitous and it's in our water as well. It's called environmental racism. Then then we'd be trying to figure out why is it that the people, of, the women of Flint are miscarrying their children? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The very children yeah. that you claim to say that you love and that you care, that you can't see, you know, uh, I mean, that you, that you, well, actually you well, technically you can't see, right. You know, but, but you're saying you love this guy, but you can't, you're, you're telling me you love the baby in that womb, but you're not mm-hmm. rallying to figure out why and how we can prevert, pre- preserve these lives from actually being miscarried. And then you're going to go and tell me that you care about Keisha's baby, that she's about to go abort down the street. Mm-hmm. It doesn't add up. It doesn't mm-hmm. add up. Mm-hmm. So that would be what I would say. Mm-hmm. I don't know how y'all going to follow that one. But. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, for me that, that why even see um, black and brown people um, as women, as image bearers. Um, because I think there's, even though it's said, um, it's not always, it's like, I understand that black and brown people have got, but we're still, uh, treated differently. I think about when I go in certain spaces Mm. and I say, just, I do apologetics in that for African-American context. And the first assumption is that I'm doing apologetics to inner city youth Mm. or the first assumption is I'm helping somebody somebody said uh at a conference that I was just at when I mentioned black and apologetics they said oh man we really um got to help these single moms and I'm like what why how are we getting there like how we black apologetic single mom how did we get there or black and apologetics you're helping these industry youth Mm you know and I would be it would be sarcastic of me to say if they're doing white apologetics oh, so are we going to deal with the opioid crisis? Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that would be a false assumption because they'd be like, well, how did we get there? Or, you know, are we going to deal with the meth crisis? Like, but when when black and brown and anything is brought up, the first assumption is poor black people. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it goes to the fact that white evangelicals don't always see black people as made in the image of God. Um, they just see us as people to be rescued and saved and projects. And so I think it has to go beyond just saying, oh, 
black and brown, everybody's made in the image of God, but living up and treating people as if they're people just like you. And they're not all a one, it's, we're not a one dimension person. Just like when they say black church and they throw all these in, like there are black churches that are different. Mm-hmm. There are black people that are different. You know, I'm black, but I didn't grow up in the urban center. I grew up in the suburbs and middle class. And it's just like, they're like blown away by that concept. Like, you know your dad? Yeah, my parents have been married for 30 years. <laughs> um, so I think just a narrow view of the way they view black people um, is problematic. So that would be my mm-hmm. my thing. Know, we're kind of pressed on time. And um, I just want I, want, I want to ask one more question of everyone. Um, and you guys have kind of already touched on it. But, but Caitlin, you previously mentioned that you said, and I quote, I believe and I hope that our evangelical family will rec- reclaim the worth of our name. Mm. what's the path forward there? Um, how do, how mm. do, how do evangelicals, if you're going to claim that title, if you're going to cling to that, a couple of people mm. in the live chat have even mentioned, you know, global definitions, mm. getting back to a global view and perspective mm. of the word evangelical, which may be different in different contexts, but, but in our American mm. context, how do we, what's the way forward of reclaiming the worth of mm. the name evangelical? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, it might come from uh, giving, well, certainly spending less time talking about what we mean by the word evangelical, who's in and who's out, and just getting on with the business of loving God and neighbor. Um, I think we have to reconcile with the fact that this word, which in its root is supposed to mean good news or good news people, sounds like bad it it sounds increasingly like bad news to a lot of our neighbors Mm -hmm. and it could be creating a barrier to to the gospel for a lot of our neighbors and so maybe there's a time when we say you know what we're christians and the polls will be clear and you know who's how people answer certain questions and polls will be based on do you read the Bible on a regular basis? Do you pray? Do you go? To, do you worship? Do you, um, you know, theological rather than cultural label? Um, so yeah, I think in a way, evangelicals might have to die to the word, recognizing that even if the evangelical movement were to disappear, you know, if it were to fade away the church would still be strong and God would still be sovereign. And he's not worried. I mean, I, I'm presuming to speak for God in this moment, but I don't think God is too worried about what's going to happen if the evangelical movement dies. I mean, what if it's a, what if the evangelical movement served its purpose for a time and doesn't any, you know, doesn't anymore Mm. um, because it's been so compromised so yeah, in a strange way, I think to get back to the root of the word, we we might have to die to the word itself mm. and to some of the navel gazing that it that it always raises and um, kind of reclaim Christian, like the word Christian as something that I think Ekemeni mentioned, if it's good enough for the people in Myanmar, then it's, it's probably good enough for us, right? So that's good. That's good. Jamar, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I'll make it brief, but in passion. My first point was that I think segregation in schools and housing has devastated race relations, both nationally and in the church. 
And until we, and I'll just say it explicitly, the burden is really on uh, white evangelicals, uh, challenge our patterns of segregation, then we're going to continue to have these discussions and and distances uh, across racial lines. So that's point number one. Number two is, as a black person, if even if I wanted to claim the label evangelical, there's no space for me in predominantly white evangelical circles. What I mean by that is, if I try to proclaim this holistic gospel that's concerned not just with issues of personal salvation or personal morality, but is also concerned with issues of systemic justice, mm-hmm. um, then I am going to get so much pushback, and I have, mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, it wouldn't be fair to say that someone like me left evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. It's more accurate to say I was pushed out. Because mm-hmm. if I try to be my fully embodied black self in predominantly white evangelical spaces, there are all kinds of ways I am rebuked for my differences and for being other. And over time, that just becomes so stifling, so inimical to my flourishing that I actually have to find a space where I can simply be free. And so it's 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 a liberation to live in the full diversity that God has has made me. And so I think what what needs to happen partially is churches and schools and seminaries need to look at the ways they stifle different expressions socially, culturally, politically, and to an extent theologically, right? Because it just it, it ain't safe to be black in white evangelical spaces a lot of times. Um I've I've lost uh, uh speaking engagements, preaching engagements. Why? Because I said, you know, cops shouldn't shoot unarmed black people so often. You know what I mean? Like basic stuff. Um and that's the that's the thing that that I think uh, white evangelicals need to grapple with. It's not, oh man, how do we get black people to come to our spaces? Well, you keep pushing folks out and it's not enough to say, well, I don't, I don't have any animosity because of your skin color. It's not enough to be not racist. You got to be anti-racist. Hmm. So oh, well, that's, that's all. Yeah. That, that framing is important. That framing is important. And and that's something that we'll continue to discuss. We want to thank you guys so much for joining us for tonight's live chat. Am I an evangelical? I want to kick it to the Kimini first, and then we'll go down the line. Where can people follow you? Find your stuff. And if there's anything, <laughs> they're going to follow you, Kimini. They're going to follow you. <laughs> and if there's anything <laughs> that you want to plug or, or pub, um, now's the time to do it. So, Kimini, you'll go first, then Lisa, then Caitlin. All right. Um, you can find me in the Twitter streets at sister underscore theology, S-I-S-T-A underscore theology. Um, I have a website, Systematic Theology, which is S-I-S-T-A-M-A-T-I-C theology.com, where all my writing, speaking, and all of that good stuff is there. Um, and Truth Tables coming back in February. Um, but currently we are doing uh, an Advent uh, devotional. So every day we are coming out with um, a devotional for people to 
um, commune with the Lord with. And there's, we've been getting a lot of responses that. And we are collaborating with Lisa Fields, of the Jew th- president of the uh, Jew 3 Project. So we are really happy about this collaboration and hoping that it's blessing everybody. The name of the, uh, the uh, devotional is called The King is Coming, a Truth's Table Advent devotional. So look out for that. Mm-hmm. Lisa? Also, well, you can follow me at Lisa V feels um or at jude three project that's the number three um our website is jude three project.com for our podcast our um events we have coming up um some more college stops um so all of that is on jude three project.com and uh we have a weekly podcast that comes out and like a committee said you could catch a truth's table uh advent devotional at jude three project.com backslash truth table for that's coming out um, until Christmas. So that's really exciting. Yay. So. And Caitlin. Yeah, I am uh, at Caitlin Beatty.com. So there are about 25 different ways to spell Caitlin. So it's K A T E L Y N B E A T Y at.com. Uh, I'm also uh, on Twitter more or less every day, multiple times a day, um, <laughs> at Caitlin Beatty. And um, if you just, you know, type in, uh, if you just Google Caitlin Beatty, you'll you'll find some of the stuff that I've written over the past several years. Jamar? Uh, we need money. <laughs> <laughs> I am not it's mad fun. at you. I am not mad at you. Where can they give, Jamar? Where can they give if they want to keep... <laughs> We, we got some. We got some dope you things got, in the works. You got so get? many ways to to donate. First of all, go to thewitness.com. Slish, click on the donate link, and you can donate via PayPal. You can donate via a form on the website. You can mail us a check. You can even go to Amazon Smile, type in our old name, Reformed African American Network, and half of one percent of your purchase will go to us. All right, bro. Um, time. So you better do it. We got to do this. And, and I say that because if you want to see this continue, if you want us to do more things like this, if you want to see um, marginalized voices, traditionally marginalized voices centered, then you got to make space for it because this is time away from our families, time away from other work that we could be doing. It's energy. And so, you know, the worker deserves his wages kind of a thing. So we need money. I'm just going to ask um, and and I'm not going to be ashamed, but do don't do it under compulsion. Uh, do it out of generosity and, and support for what we're doing. If you like what you see. Thank you. And I'm Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns 23. Please follow at your own risk. Thank you guys for tuning in and join us for this live Twitter conversation. And we will see you, not you next say anything time. About the tour, huh? We'll, look, follow us at underscore Pastor Mike on Twitter, and you will find all that good stuff about a Pastor Mike tour. We're coming to a city near you in 2018. We're hitting seven cities, and then we're also doing some other stuff. We're going to have some other live chats. We have announcements about that coming soon as well. Um, so stay tuned. Follow us at The Witness BCC and also at underscore Pastor Mike for more information. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you soon on the next Pastor Mike.